This podcast contains swear words. Well, hello, and welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity, not giving up, take that seriously, and living well in the process. Process? I don't know. It's up to you. Although I'm coming from the perspective of a person who makes art, like as a job, the themes and issues discussed here apply to all of us. At least I think so. Whether you consider yourself an artist or not, life is a creative act. Mm. And who's your host? I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg. I'm a choreographer, I'm a performer, I'm a writer, I'm an educator, and I live on the unceded, stolen, ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations on the west coast of Turtle Island. Before we jump into today's interview with the fabulous Lee Soufay, just a little reminder to please like, review, share, clickety-click-click-click this podcast, because that's how other folks can find easier is if you've liked it and heart, heart, heart. And also tell your friends because that also works. That's probably the best way out here in the digital world. So the clickies help as well. And if you have the inclination and the means to donate, we really, really, really do appreciate it. And it goes to the artists we interview here. And you can go to terrashyan.com, upper right-hand corner, There's a little thing that says donate right there, or we'll put the link in the show notes. And my thought today before we dive into this uh, interview, which was so enjoyable, I just want to introduce, and this is not an introduction because you know these things, but the idea of rest and rigor. So those two R's, they've been on my mind as of late. I just came back from a fantastic residency at Art Spring on Salt Spring Island. Shout out to those folks. It was so much fun, and we got so much work done. So here's where I'm thinking about this, like, rest and rigor thing. And the idea, I think, in our, you know, capitalist culture, boo, that you've just got to be busy all the time and doing, doing, and rigor and suffering. This is what is implanted in my brain and my practice a lot and just getting too tired. And then, of course, it's diminishing returns. And so how you balance or how we balance collectively, because we're all in this collectively, aren't we? The rigor with the rest. And my collaborator, Kate Franklin, who's been interviewed several times on this podcast, when I was like doing my pre-show workout, because I did a performance of body parts there too, she was like, well, just ape it, you know, do it, but don't do it 100%. Like just take your foot off the gas and you're still going through the practice. So you're still kind of like feeding that rigor part of yourself, but you're also acknowledging the the rest part of yourself and looking at like when you have to like pump it out. Anyway, that's really stuck with me and making sure when you can, because it's not always possible, but when you can, is incorporating rest into your rigor. And that might mean just, okay, go out in the hall without your phone for five minutes and stare out the window, you know, thinking about what rest means. Follow the nap ministry on Instagram. There's lots of good ideas on what rest really means. 
And now into my interview with Lee Soufay. I've known Soufay for many, many years. I'm a huge fan of her work and her practice as a performer, as a teacher, fantastic mentor, also dramaturge, and an incredible teacher of Fitzmaurice voice technique. If you ever have a chance to study with Soufay, I strongly recommend. It's it's a really incredible way of integrating voice with body because, of course, the voice is in the body. I don't know if, if that's come up for you before, but sure has for me. Anyway, we talk about all kinds of things about her algorithms, which is very interesting. You can catch Soufay later this spring at the Dance Center, and also we'll link to Soufay's website with links to upcoming teaching and performances. So without further ado, my interview with Soufay. So, Soufay. Yes, Tara. Thank you for agreeing to have an interview with me. I have so many questions, Mm -hmm. but I think let's start with what is really interesting to you right now? What is interesting to me right now is how to do as little as possible. Yes. But with maximum usefulness. Ooh, can you talk more about what that means to you? Um, This has been a long inquiry, like how to work sustainably. Right. Right. Important. Uh, Yeah. Not just now everyone thinks about sustainability as the planet and uh, Mm -hmm. ecology and ecocracies and everything. But I think for a long time, I've been working on how to work sustainably in my body. Like, how can I dance without pain? Mm. How can I perform without sacrificing my body and spirit to God knows what? How can I walk away from these performances or these dancing things truly rejuvenated? Wow. Right? Because when we start dancing that's what gives us the joy it's that it gives us something it gives us life and then we fall in love with it and then you become a dancer and suddenly you're exhausted all the time and you doubt yourself all the time you're full of (laughs) self-loathing all those things right and you're full of envy and you're full of unhappiness and existential crises all the time and then you know injuries etc etc So this question of how to be well while dancing, first to survive it, has always been interesting for me for a long time. And then before the pandemic, I was working on an algorithm that I'm still working on called Touch Me, Hold Me, Let Me Go. Right, yes. And then the pandemic happened and I couldn't, we couldn't touch each other or hold each other. And yet it became so clear that it was more important than ever that we touched each other and that we held each other. Yeah. And also learning when to let go, when we need space and all those things. And then now the world is trying to figure out how to be. Yeah. Or we're all trying to figure out how to be in this world where we've forgotten maybe how to touch each other and hold each other, how to ask for what we need. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pursuing this and... and and practicing it at the same time. And it's, it's like a very long, durational kind of inquiry. Yeah. And part of it is also listening. You know, I'm a Fitzmaurice voice teacher and Catherine Fitzmaurice, you know, when you train to be a teacher, one of the things is you learn to teach what's in front of you. 
you may come with all your ideas of what you want to yeah. share and you know the things you believe in but uh you teach what's in front of you and, right. and you have to pivot you have to f- listen deeply to who's in front of you what's mm-hmm. in front of you which includes what's there in your own body too so this deep listening i think yeah. to the moment is what i'm interested in and then just trying to find the right amount of response like not too much right 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 yeah and like response from yourself response from the world mm-hmm. i guess in terms of me i think this question is like how do i want to be in the world as an artist what is my role right now as someone who is 58 you know i'm approaching cronehood um <laughs> I say that with pride. With you know, pride. With pride. Yes. I find myself in rooms and I realize, wow, everyone's looking at me like I'm the elder. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I have like a double take because most of us don't walk around imagining ourselves as, as, as older people. <laughs> no. And I think that is so important. I feel mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm going to be the old lady, but know that those of us who are over a certain age... Mm-hmm. I turned 50 in September, so it's kind of new. Mm-hmm. It's kind of new for me. 50 anyway. That there isn't like a threshold that you cross over and all of a sudden feel different mm-hmm. or wise or I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't know if you experienced this, but that there's still part of us that is always, that's, you know, forever yourself, which yeah. is kind of ageless. Yes. And so it should be, right? Yeah. Like this kind of child inside you that can play still right yeah i want to play i want to make room for myself to play and to feel into what that feels like so i'm looking for more play less work yeah i'm so behind that i find it challenging there's that feeling like i always have to be useful but mm. you said it at the beginning like how can i do as little as possible and still you know serve my purpose. And I think maybe what you're getting at, correct me, with a sense of play, without killing ourselves, without burning ourselves out. Absolutely. I think maybe that's the sustainability part. Yeah. And if you do work and find the play in it, then there's energy that gives you, you know, gives it back to you. Right. And then there's a kind of resiliency in there. And things don't have to be good for you to play. Like the play is is a practice. Like, you need to find play even when things are dark. Even when you're oppressed, you need to find play because that's the muscle. Like, you know, like say when you think of sports, you know, that's practicing like predator-prey skills in play. So then you're keeping, basically in a safe environment, you're practicing all the skills you need to survive. Totally. In the savage world. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Because you look at young animals. Mm -hmm how they learn how to hunt and mm-hmm. all that is through play. Yeah. And how we keep that practice. Do you have practices that you have found that keep you playing? Singing. Mm. I'm not a great singer. But you love it. But I like love doing it. it. I like doing it. And especially during the pandemic, I found that singing also requires you to like slow down your breath. So that like hacks your nervous system into you know, this right. sort of rest and digest, sort of more parasympathetic sort of nervous system. I never thought of that. That's brilliant. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like now we're sitting here having tea 
And our breath is slower because, yeah. you know, we're not feeling anxious. Yeah. And so when you slow your breath down, which is why in yoga, or, you know, yeah. all these things like in the gym, when things are rough, you know, you slow your breath down. Yes. And there are all these ways to, to basically hack your system into calming right. yourself down. And singing does that, right? But also when you hear, you know, what they call prosodic voice, you know, like a sing-song voice. Right. When you hear that, that also tells your nervous system that you're safe. And so generally then keeps you more in that sort of optimum parasympathetic nervous system. And then when you feel safe, you're more, you know, you can play. And when you're in that place, then your body can move towards balance wellness better it makes so much sense we've been talking to our child a lot about tone Mm. about you know not responding or not communicating all the time sometimes of course it's necessary in this really like no and that just resonated with me it's like yeah when do we need to have that available and then that sing-songy or just uh, mm-hmm. what we hear is so important and how we do influence the atmosphere around yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. But then the other piece of it is your anger is also part of who you are and it has a right to be there. Absolutely. And, you know, it's normal to feel angry. And as a voice teacher, like, don't shut that down. Like, allow that into your voice because that's part of the power of your voice. You know, what I've learned is when I feel vulnerable, my first instinct is to go to anger. Uh-huh. And then if I ask for what I need in angry tone, it creates a whole bunch of other right. problems, yeah. <laughs> let's say. Mm-hmm. So the work of me slowing myself down, mm-hmm. like when I find myself angry, and this is really hard work. Yeah. Hard work. yeah. I fail at it all the time. I'm like, ah! I'm in this state. <laughs> but usually if I if I am successful to slow myself down and notice what's actually there before the anger is, is I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling grief. It's deep vulnerability, like, oh my god, I'm gonna die kind of thing. Yeah. And the anger comes as a survival thing. But that piece requires like a lifetime of work, you know? And I sort of feel we also need to learn to allow that energy of anger into our voice. And we also need to be able to hear it Mm. without freaking out. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I, maybe as a predominantly female identifying person, Mm -hmm. socialized that way, that having an angry voice is not something I have practiced. Mm -hmm. And that as I'm older, I'm like letting that be, but also not necessarily being triggered by an angry voice. So it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It does sound like it starts with like many things, like most things with yourself. Yeah. You start with your body. Yeah. You start with your body. Can you talk about slow? Because I think that so much of our world and media and it's, you know, you get it done yesterday. Everything is like that. How do we slow down? How do we slow down as humans? How do we slow down as artists? And I sort of feel like the early yeah. days of the pandemic was just this massive global somatic class. Ah, Don't you think? Like yeah. everybody suddenly had to slow down. Yeah. No and choice. There was no choice. And it's too bad we haven't retained that. (laughs) I know. It felt like 
oh, this could be good. We, yeah. could, we could have a new way of being, uh-huh. but it does feel now. It's, it's like, like yeah, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's a struggle. For example, when emails come and then you start to feel, oh, oh I should, I should. I check myself and go, I don't need to answer right away. <laughs> I can take a moment, you know, to check in like with, is this right? Or, mm-hmm. You know, what else do I have to do first? And it, actually throughout the anxiety of the last three years, you know, that's the thing too, is like if you slow down, you actually feel, <laughs> you feel all the things and they're not yes. always comfortable. No. You feel all the things. It's, it's true. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know that was there. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> uh, let's do something. Let's, uh... Yeah. So learning to sit with that discomfort, I think is maybe also a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's really important. Mm-hmm. And I think, segue, art making, at least for me, there is an investigation in discomfort. The things that are interesting are the uncomfortable things, and you one has to, I think, as an artist, you got to go right in. That's your job, to sit in the discomfort and somehow hold it and hold the complexity of that because it's uncomfortable because it's complex. It's full of paradox. right. right. I think that's where all the great art is, where it's like paradoxical. You know, this guy's a good guy, but he's also a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> this villain is also wounded. And we sit with the complication of humanity. And then maybe we're invited into like more compassion or something for ourselves. Exactly. It's messy in there. Mm-hmm. There's no like good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. You're so smart. Um, <laughs> that accepting of your own complexity then allows us to see the other's complexity, which is actually not the other because it's all part of the same thing. Okay, so as the artist, it is our job to sit in that complexity. Do you feel like where we are right now in terms of art making and things that you're seeing people making, we're at a place where that is happening in the atmosphere of art making? I kind of do. Yeah? Either I become somebody else, which of course I have, but the few things I've seen in this last year have, I went, wow, that's so great. Like there's a kind of permission, I think, to do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. And and because I think what happens, especially in dance, is um, like all the middle, like the brokers, you know, the gatekeepers, people with spaces, people with festivals, people with power. They needed artists, and artists could just... I could just dance on the beach. Yeah. I can just dance in my living room and put it on YouTube. You can just have conversations, podcasts, and put it out there. Yeah. So suddenly, it sort of revealed that, oh, there's no gate. Like Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is this gate you're keeping? Yeah, that's right. I can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> permission i see artists giving themselves that permission just to follow that i mean i also see people you know rebounding back to the market and maybe because that comes when we're all trying to figure out how to survive also right in a climate of where you have less then yeah that comes up yeah do you feel like there's any way of 
I mean, I feel like at my age, I have a company, there's a lot of privilege involved in that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can kind of do what I want. But do you feel like there is a way for us to stay in that, in the integrity of art making without getting sucked into the, you know, well, you got to sell it. Well, who wants it? Where do the presenters, do you know what I mean? Like, what's the answer, (laughs) Sufi? I don't know. No, I I don't know. But my son, like Gen Z, I think is a great musician, but he declared to me that he doesn't want to do music as a career. Oh. He wants to do it for fun. Okay. He's going to try and do economics. He actually trained to be an audio engineer to, uh, oh, to master stuff right. and stuff. And now he's decided, I mean, he enjoys doing that. Like he really likes mixing music and, you know, producing stuff. Um, and he can still do it. Yeah. But he's going to study economics because he also enjoys that and he wants to make money. He wants to keep the survival piece separate from the, the play. Right. I see it as his way of tending to a space where there's there's joy and play and it doesn't get corrupted by the market. It can still be excellent work. It doesn't have to be amateur. I think that that's the yeah. other thing is when we put words like, oh, being a professional or being an amateur as some kind of value things, that's also kind of like fucked up, you know? Yeah. And many years ago at the Talking Stick Festival sort of conference, Joe Ozawabine, who was the artistic director of the Bajamujik um, Creation Center, they're a theater company in Manitoulin Island. And they're trying to practice making theater from an Anishinaabe worldview, being in the question of what that means, you know. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things he said that really struck me was he, he said, I'm trying to replace the word professional with honorable. Yeah. And when you think about that, you know, like you do that exercise and are you a professional dancer? And you go, are you an honorable dancer? <laughs> Am I a professional choreographer? Yeah. Am I an honorable choreographer? That, that puts a whole other spin on how you do things. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I heard the actual translation of amateur, which I think is Latin. I'm going to have to look it up. But it actually means one who loves to do the thing. Mm. When I heard that, I was like, well, we got it all wrong here. Mm-hmm. We should all be amateurs. Like, do it yeah. because you love it. But I love that, like, honorable. It also makes me think of, I feel like it was one of the One Yellow Rabbits. Be undeniable which I think maybe is adjacent to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, some of those. Mm -hmm. Because this is the thing is, usually I'm moved to tears by the love of an amateur dancer. Totally. A singer, you know, like just when they give in to that joy and, and it's so inspiring. And then I can be watching a dancer at some fancy production who can do amazing things and be left completely empty. And then I go, you probably injured that hamstring a million times trying to do that move. And I'm sitting here feeling absolutely nothing. What a waste. I know. Of effort. I know. <laughs> I get so angry when I'm watching I know. something I and can... like, these dancers are so good. Yeah. I'm getting nothing. Yeah. And the anger comes because there's grief before that, right? Uh-huh. It's like, what am I doing this for? Like, this, all this pain and, yeah. then, and this, like, nothing. Yeah. So I want a world where we're, like, 
feeling the love, you know? I want a world where where dance isn't just in special places. It's not just for special people to do. I want us to be able to dance wherever, because that's the other thing that happened during the pandemic, you know, the early days of like this two-meter thing. I was walking down the street and I would be dancing because I, I started to feel like, this is my room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I took to dancing, you know, like by the ocean to co-regulate, to be with the waves and singing, you know, to hear my own voice. But also I um, met a friend through Facebook and we sent recordings of us singing to each other. And then I would, you know, play his recording and sing with him. And all those things just, you know, kept me super grounded. But I would do it outside. Right. And I think one of the things I decided, yeah, I want, I want a world, I want to make this world. I want a world where we see dance the way we see someone walking a dog. Yes. You know, you someone's running down the sea. Well, someone's dancing. Like, why not? I was singing. Absolutely. Because it is just human mm-hmm. to dance, to sing, and all the things. And I It's th- your right. Yeah, it's your it's right. It's your birthright to dance and sing. Yeah. It's not just for a special class of people. God, no. And it also is so very boring. Yeah. If it's only these people with these bodies and mm-hmm. this training. But then being that special class of people, then I sort of go, well, what is it? Hmm. What is my role here in this world then? I think this is the question. It's like this job of an artist that we've given ourselves. What is that role? That's such a good question with many answers and no answers. Mm -hmm. What comes to you? What comes to me is, ooh, turn the tables, ask the interviewer questions. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Um, My job is to be in it so completely and so honestly that everybody around feels their own vibration Mm. so that they feel whatever it is they make or do feels like, ah, yeah, I can do that. Right. right. I can do the thing I want to do. I think of when I first saw Nigel Charnock perform Frank at the dance center, Mm -hmm. I think I was like 33 or 34 and I was feeling a little bit like crestfallen, just like my shows, (laughs) you know, but when I saw him do that show, I felt like, oh, fuck, I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what I feel like. That's part of our job. Mm -hmm. And also just to get so personal that it becomes universal. Yeah. Something in what you're saying, um, what resonates to me is like, it's about finding that joy, right? And the joy of being one with the thing, with the dance, with the music, mm. with the song. Not joy of pleasing somebody. Right. I think that's the other struggle as a performer is the gaze. Right. Of the teacher, of the judge, of the critic, of the audience. And then if you're the male gaze on Mm -hmm. a female body or the white gaze on a non-white body, how do we struggle? I use the word divine a lot, you know, sacred or some kind of godliness. I'm not religious, but I care about the divine. It's the thing that feeds you directly. And it's not validation from another, but it's just an alignment somehow. 
Yeah. It's like you plug into the great whatever, mm-hmm. the energy, the universal, the yeah. infinite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Hopefully lots of times performing or making where you feel it. It's, it's like mm-hmm. a click. Mm-hmm. And you're right. That gaze is not part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the struggle is finding the conditions. Right. <laughs> and creating the conditions. And creating the conditions. That's basically the job of the artist, right? The struggle is like, how, what? What happened when I found that moment? <laughs> how do I recreate it? Or how do I up the chances of it happening? How do I increase the chance yeah. of it happening? So that it happens for me and it happens for the people who are witnessing me. Right. Do you think, bringing it around, Mm -hmm. do you think that has something to do with slower listening? Yeah, maybe slow is one thing. I think slowing is one possibility. I think maybe the word is to disrupt the current rhythm that we're trapped in. Right. Right. Like the world that we live in and how we move, they're all like habits, right? Mm -hmm. So you move a certain way, you walk a certain way, there's a certain rhythm, you answer emails, and I think as I think rhythm is in all things but I think especially as dancers we are working with rhythm and time in a very particular way and I think it's about disrupting the everyday rhythm whether Mm -hmm. it's by slowing down or by breaking it somehow right Uh, that's comedy too totally right right? comedy is disruption surprise yeah oh it's like what what often in you know as a voice teacher one of the things we talk about you know what is the surprise breath are you ready for the surprise breath, you know? And, and that breath go, <gasps> gives you that extra air and suddenly, you know, something happens you know, in the wonder of the moment. So it's like, how do you make performance? So then how do you construct or play with time so that that surprise can happen? Yeah, you're making something available, mm-hmm. an availability to to experience something that if you're just, we're going along and are mm-hmm. we're not available to it. All yeah. the magic that's happening all the that's time. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that, that, <gasps> mm-hmm. that breath, which again, the breath is so integral and important. It's and everything, it's right? Everything. It's the first thing that you do and the last thing that you do yeah. in your life. And also in terms of the nervous system, it's part of the autonomic nervous system. So if you faint right now, you still keep breathing because your body will breathe you to stay alive. But it's also part of the central nervous system where you can control your breath. Yeah. You can tell yourself to breathe in for four and out for eight. Yes. You can tell yourself to, you know, hold your breath for five seconds. You can do all those things. So it, it it's both. And that's where time, I don't know, I feel like when we can play with that, then we have the capacity to like suspend time, you know, and create this anticipation or the surprise. And then we can sort of like have images come to life in different ways, you know, and how I speak and the pauses I take is also going to affect your breath. Totally. And your breath is going to affect everything else in your body. So Yeah. yeah, I think so much of breath knowledge, listening to your breath and learning to play with it, I suppose. Yeah, it just makes my mind go off in all these ways. We affect ourselves. We are all one because like you say, like we are, we, yeah. we pick it up. Yes. The mirror neurons, yes, you know, exactly. and then electrical systems. So yeah. 
So when we come close, you know, we're all going to be like one electrical system. So this is the other thing too. It's like, okay, we're all connected. Then I don't have to do very much to affect the whole system if right. I'm really clear. <laughs> if I'm really clear. Yeah, right. right? Or if I know myself. I think this yeah. is the other piece. Like often in, in voice class, I talk about how can you tune into your interiority while you tune into what's outside of you, be with yourself and with the other. Right. The potential there is massive. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't train like that. And I don't think we live like that. We cut off one or the other. Yeah. You close your eyes so you can feel into yourself. Yeah. And then you open your eyes and you lose yourself. Yeah. And like being in this state of like tuning into yourself. And, and that's damn hard work. It's really hard work. I often find like when I'm improvising, I'm like trying to like name everything in the room, but still be integrated into mm-hmm. what's happening in my body. It's a challenging practice. Hey, mm-hmm. I want to respect your time. But also I just wanted to talk a little bit more about play. And then I have like one final question. When you were talking about this time, it made me think of, you know, when you're a little kid or you're observing a child going so deep into play. I remember being so deep into play that it felt like days went by. And I wonder if returning to that, like as an artist or as a human, mm-hmm. you know, has a potential. Yeah, because time as we know it is a construct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like the watch tells you. But if you go into the wilderness and you, you put away your watch or your devices, you're just in tune with, you know, the temperature and the sun rising, setting, you know, cycles of hunger and thirst and fatigue. And that's something having a kid, like, really teaches you, right? Yes. Like, like to just drop into play. Yeah, I remember the stress is usually when you're like, Ugh, I have to do so. I have to like accomplish oh, yeah. something, and my kid is like, you know, wanting to play with the Lego. Exactly. And, oh, that's the stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you like drop into this place? I feel like an important thing is knowing that it's our job as artists mm-hmm. to go into those places, you know? Yeah. I have a practice. Yeah. Tell me. I call it openings and obstacles. And I teach it as like the DNA of my practice. You start with your body, you notice what's there. And in this landscape of your body, of sensation, you know, you notice what the openings are. The openings are pleasure or curiosity or desire, you know, like, oh, I, I feel like stretching my arm. I'm going to give myself permission to do that. Or, oh, that sensation of the air on my foot feels good. I, I want more of it. I'm going to lean towards it. And then if once you give yourself permission to do that, the shape of you changes. Mm. And then you're in a new place. And then you repeat the whole thing. It's like, oh, okay, what's this new place? What's pleasurable now? And then you give yourself permission to do it. So you're you're already in the dance. Yeah. But then inevitably you're going to find an obstacle. And an obstacle might be a pain, injury, boredom, you know, some kind of blockage. And I think this is where we're trained by society how to deal with obstacles. And these are cultural ways, you know, like we're taught push past the pain. Avoid the pain. Avoid the discomfort. And as a martial artist, I've learned, you know, when someone's coming at you with a fist, you don't run away from the fist or that you don't go into the fist either. Right. But you 
soften around the fist. And in that softening, your opponent's shape will change, your shape will change. And then in that moment, if you're very skilled, you can go, oh, where are the openings here? And I'll go here, I'll go here, I'll go here. Wow. So I use that as a kind of tool to ground me when I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. And when I'm dancing, you know, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, okay. What, what, and, you know, then you just go down to the nitty-gritty of, oh, my knee needs to move. And then I need to shift my weight off that sitting bone. But I also extrapolate it, like, to my day sometimes, you know, like if I'm feeling anxious. That's kind of one of the practices I have. Okay, what's there right now? And what is the next thing that needs to happen according to, you know, what's the opening and obstacle that I'm going to respond to right now? And that determines my next kind of action. Oh, I love that. I'm using that. I'm always anxious. (laughs) Me me too. Me too. I kind of feel like I I didn't used to be an anxious person. I remember having a conversation some years ago with a younger person who, you know, would talk about his anxiety attacks. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. And I think it was just because I didn't know how to feel into my body then, you know. I was probably feeling anxious, but I had ways of, like, dampening it. Yeah. And now that I've learned to feel more, I feel like I'm anxious all the time. But I also have tools to, like... Yeah. And in that anxiety, there's also, like, lots of joy. Like, all the things. Yeah. All the things. Yeah, it's so important to accept and invite. Yeah. Allow those things that we're feeling and not push them away because... There is joy to be found, Yeah, you know. And then the other thing about habits is, you know, I know in myself, and maybe that's the habit of an artist. Not sure. Some artists, some, you know, but but I have a habit as a Scorpio of I'm going to go deep into that. Right. Oh, I feel it. I'm going to go deep into it. I was just talking earlier this morning with a fellow voice teacher and, you know, like we, we don't interrogate that enough. Like we value depth over shallow, like deeper is better. And as soon as you said deeper, I was like, I don't go deep enough. Oh, no, I better go deeper. (laughs) I always go deep and I miss all the shallows. And in the shallow of the ocean, you know, the light comes in and bounces in different. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. There are other things going on, but one isn't better than the other. Yeah. And that's one of the things I'm learning to do. Like I was working with this wise woman who is this therapist. And she was, oh, you're you're going deep again. And she was like, it's a habit. I was like. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> but I decided this. So she was inviting me to like play in the shallow sometimes. You know, it doesn't mean you can't go deep. Right. You know how to go deep already. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do. Yeah. And so why don't I just hang out in the shallow? So the last few years, I love swimming in the ocean. I love salt water. Don't like the lake so much. But one of my favorite things about swimming would be I would prefer to jump from a rock into deep water. Yes. Or, um, jump off a pier or something. And then the last few years, I've been practicing going gradually into the water. Oh. So I go in and I take a moment to feel, okay, the the cold water on my ankles. And then it's uncomfortable because you're going, oh, maybe I don't want to go in. I'm changing my mind now. (laughs) (laughs) And then you kind of go, okay, I'm going to go into my knees. And then you feel that. And then you feel like, you know, the different. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're afraid that you're going to, jam out because yeah. you might change your mind I know and then all the judgment on yourself that's going to come like what kind of a person am I I'm going to go halfway into the ocean and get out like ah oh, what a loser 
but that, that's actually the fear, right? Like, who cares if you go into the... I know, right? It's really you meeting some weird judge in yourself. But anyway, so I've been practicing going into the ocean slowly so that I could, like, really taste the shallows. Wow. It's been really fun. Do you go into the ocean, like, this time of year? We're talking in January right now. No, but I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people, too. Mm-hmm. I have a close family friend, and she is in her early 80s, and she mm-hmm. goes, she lives on Salt Spring. She goes into the ocean every day. Yeah, I have a friend who does that, too. And I'm inspired by that because a year ago, she was doing that with a wetsuit, yeah. which I've done, which is yeah. totally fine. Yeah. And now she just goes in with a swimsuit. Wow. And I'm like, Oh, level up. Level up. Um, (laughs) You answered my last question already, which was habits. What are some habits that are sustaining you right now? If there's anything else, but I feel like we've got really good takeaways. Some habits that are sustaining me in swimming. But in the winter, because I've gotten used to swimming in the ocean, I just don't really feel like swimming in the pool. Yeah. And I haven't become one of those people yet. Right. So I'm not swimming in the winter. But uh, I work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you lift weights? I do lift weights. I like lifting weights. I like feeling effort of working my muscles and feeling the tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just started really doing it seriously about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I can't believe how much I love it. I wish I would have started this 25 years Me ago. Me too. I feel like as a dancer, you were taught to just sort of poo-poo Totally. Weightlifting, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's going to be bad for you. You won't be able to dance if you do that. Like, <laughs> no way. I feel like I'm dancing with way more comfort. Me too. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I feel way more in touch with my body than when I was 25. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I just wish my knees wouldn't be 50. That would be great. Are they your knees though and not your hips? I know, exactly. Upstream, downstream. Mm-hmm. It's probably my hips and my ankles. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much Thank for this. You. That, that was, was fun. That was so fun. fun. So fun. Thank you, Tara. And that is a wrap, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Soufe, for sitting down and having such a great conversation. I've got lots and lots to think about. I'm sure you do too. Please get in touch. Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP. Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance. Email, info at Tara Cheyenne dot com. If there's somebody you think, hmm, you know who I'd like to hear interviewed on Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, please drop me a line. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a project of Tara Cheyenne Performance, and we are supported by the Canada Council, BC Arts Council, City of Vancouver, and Gaming. This podcast was produced, edited, with original music by Mark Stewart. MarkStewartMusic.com. And I will leave you with this quotation from Tony Cade Bambara. Good art doesn't solve the problem. It presents the problem. Mm, chew on that one, my friends. Keep making shit up. We'll see you next time. This podcast is effing good. Effing good. Effing good.